0: Chapter 29 of The Star Chamber A Historical Romance, Volume 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Asia Wilcox The Star Chamber, Volume 1 by william harrison ainsworth chapter twenty nine luke hatton feigning sudden indisposition and the excuse was not altogether without foundation the countess of exeter quitted theobald's palace on the day after her unlucky visit to lord ruse's chamber and proceeded to her husband's residence at wimbledon where she was speedily joined by her lover who brought her word of the advantage he had gained over their foe i have fairly checkmated my gracious mother-in-law he cried with a laugh and it would have diverted you as much as it did me and gomar who was present on the occasion if you could have witnessed her rage and mortification when she discovered the change that had been effected and that in the place of your magnificent black ringlet which I now wear next to my heart and shall ever keep as a love-token. She had only a sorry specimen of your handmaiden's lint-white locks. As I live, it was truly laughable. The good lady would have annihilated me if she could, and threatened me with terrible reprisals. At first, she tried to attribute the transformation, which she could not otherwise account for, to witchcraft. And though I derided the charge, I must needs say the trick was so cleverly performed that it did look like magic. The packet containing the tress of hair had never been out of her own keeping. This she affirmed, and it was true. But there was a friendly hand to open it, nevertheless, to purloin its priceless treasure, and to substitute something of a similar kind, though of comparatively little value, in its place. That hand, one not likely to be suspected, was no other than that of my lady's confidential attendant, Sarah Swarton. The juggle was played by her at the instance of Diego. Anticipating some such occurrence as the present, and desirous of having a spy upon the movements of our enemies, I had some time since directed Diego to pay secret court to Sarah, and my forethought has now been rewarded the main difficulty lay with poor Gillian. she was greatly embarrassed by her situation and her perplexity was increased by the presence of a jealous lover in the shape of an apprentice who refused to leave her till his doubts should be satisfied this was awkward as the story could not be very well reconciled so as to suit all parties accordingly when the discovery was made which seemed to proclaim the poor girl's infidelity the youth's rage and consternation were nearly equal to lady lake's a circumstance that added considerable zest to the comedy but i see it does not divert you so much as i expected and therefore to relieve your mind I may tell you that the jealous varlet soon repented of his rash determination and, pursuing his mistress, whom de Gomar had considerably taken under his protection, prevailed upon her to give the amorous ambassador the slip, and return with him to her father's abode at Tottenham. I'm right glad to hear it, said the countess. Though I have seen so little of Gillian and I can't help taking an interest in her, "'She's so pretty and so innocent in appearance, "'and her manners are so artless and engaging. "'I owe her some reparation for the mischief I have done her "'and will not neglect to make it. "'I am sorry I was ever induced by you to take her into my service, "'and I am thankful to hear she has escaped de Gomar's snares. "'You are wonderfully interested about her, methinks, Francis.' "'And I hope she'll be grateful for your consideration,' rejoined Lord Ruse with a laugh. "'But I should not be surprised if De Gomar still gained his point. "'It is not his way to give up a pursuit he has once undertaken. "'However, to leave the pretty damsel to her fate, "'which will depend entirely on her own conduct, let us return to ourselves.' we have good reason to be satisfied with the issue of the adventure of the lock of hair. Nevertheless, that recurrence to the charge of witchcraft on the part of my vindictive mother-in-law shows the extent of her malice, and I cannot doubt that, in threatening me with reprisals, she will be as good as her word. It behooves us, therefore, to be beforehand with her. What she may intend I cannot say— But I am satisfied she has a formidable scheme on foot, and that nothing but her family's interposition prevented its disclosure when she was so violently incensed against me. You fill me with terror, William, exclaimed the Countess. Will this woman's hostility towards me never cease? Never, replied Lord Ruse, with a sudden change of manner, and laying aside the levity he had hitherto exhibited. There is but one way of ending the struggle. Luke Hatton can help us do it. Persuaded we should require him, I brought him along with me. He waits in the hall below with Diego. Shall I summon him to our conference? On no account! exclaimed Lady Exeter hastily. I will not see him. You have done wrong to bring that poisoner here, my lord. You will destroy me. Listen to me, Francis, replied Lord Ruse. The next step taken by Lady Lake will be fatal to us. There must be no delay, no irresolution on our part, or all is lost. I cannot depend upon myself, or I would not call in another's aid. You will comprehend how wanting and firmness I am when I tell you what happened the other night. Incredible as it may sound, my wife in order to prove her devotion to me and to free me from further annoyance on her part, offered to take poison. And but for my interference, fool that I was to stay her, would have drained the phial containing the deadly potion. The weakness was momentary, and I reproached myself for it when too late, but it convinced me that a firmer hand than mine must be employed in the task. And can you after what you have related william can you seriously meditate the destruction of a fond woman who has generosity enough to lay down her life for you this is more incredible than the rest more monstrously wicked wicked it may be but the excuse if i have any lies in my overwhelming passion for you francis replied lord ruse in a frenzied tone and it seems decided by the relentless destiny that governs me that the continued indulgence of the fatal passion shall only be purchased at the price of my soul that penalty i'm prepared to pay rather than lose you i will become obdurate will turn my heart to stone so that it shall no longer melt at the tears of this fond foolish woman and i will slay her without remorse Any other obstacle between us shall be removed, be it her mother, her father, your husband. I will immolate a hundred victims at the altar of our love. I will shrink from nothing to make you mine for ever. For I would rather share eternal bail with you, Francis, than immortal bliss with another. You almost make me fancy some evil being has obtained possession of you, William. "'said the countess, gazing at him with affright. "'It may be that the fiend himself hath accepted my wild offer," "'he rejoined gloomily. "'But if my wish be granted, it matters not.' "'I will not listen to such fearful impiety,' said the countess, shuddering. "'Let us dismiss the subject for the present and recur to it when you are calmer. "'It cannot be postponed, Francis. "'Time presses.' And even now, Lady Lake may have got the start of us. I shall be calm enough when this is over. Will you consent to see Luke Hatton? Why need I see him? inquired the countess, with increasing uneasiness. Why will you force his hateful presence upon me? If the deed must be done, why can you not alone undertake it? I will tell why not, he replied in a somber tone and regarding her fixedly. I must have a partner in the crime. It will bind us to each other in links not to be severed. I shall have no fear of losing you then, Countess. I go to bring Luke Hatton to you. And without waiting for her reply, he strode out of the room. Lady Exeter would have arrested him, but she had not the nerve to do so. And with an exclamation of anguish, she fell back in her chair what dominion sin has usurped over me she mentally ejaculated i have lost the power of resisting its further encroachment i-i see the enormity of the offence i am about to commit and though my soul revolts at it i cannot hold back i am as one on the brink of a precipice who beholds the dreadful gulf before him into which another step must plunge him yet is too giddy to retreat and must needs fall over pity me kind heaven i am utterly helpless without my aid while the unhappy lady thus unavailingly deplored the sad position in which her own misconduct had placed her and from which she felt wholly incapable of extricating herself while in this wretched frame of mind she awaited her lover's return with as we have shown some remains of good struggling with the evil in her bosom we will cast a hasty glance around the chamber which she sat and we are prompted to do this not because it merits particular description but because it was the room referred to by lady lake as the scene of the confession she had forged the apartment then was spacious and handsomely furnished in the heavy taste of the period with but little to distinguish it from other rooms visited by us in the course of the story. Like most of them, it had a gloomy air, caused by the dark hue of its oaken panels and the heavy folds of its antiquated and faded tapestry. The latter was chiefly hung against the lower end of the chamber and served as a screen to one of the doors. At the opposite end, there was a wide and deep bay window, glowing with stained glass amidst the emblazonry of which might be discerned the proud escutcheon of the house of Exeter, with two lions rampant forming its supporters. On the right of the enormous carved mantelpiece, which, with its pillars, statues, stuchins, and massive cornice mounted to the very ceiling, was hung a portrait of the Earl of Exeter, a grave, dignified personage, clad in the attire of Elizabeth's time and on the left was a likeness of the countess herself painted in all the pride of her unequalled beauty and marvellous in resemblance then but how different in expression from her features now in the recess of the window stood an oak table covered with a piece of rich carpet fringed in gold on which a massive silver inkstand and materials for writing were placed and this table was seized upon by Lady Lake as a feature in her plot. Here she would have it the confession that was signed by the Countess. Another point in reference to this scheme must not be passed unnoticed. We have mentioned the heavy hangings at the lower end of the room. According to the plotter, it was behind these that Sarah Swarton, the intended witness of the imaginary scene, was concealed the principal subjects represented on the Raz were the judgment of solomon and the temptation of our first parents in the garden by the serpent the hangings had evidently not been removed for years and did not reach within two feet of the ground a circumstance that had escaped the attention of lady lake proving the truth of her husband's observation that in the best contrived plot some imperfection will exist Certain to operate in its detection. To return to the unhappy Countess, so lost was she in reflection that she did not remark Lord Ruse's return till made aware of it by a slight touch on the shoulder. When she raised her eyes, they fell upon an object that inspired her with the dread and aversion that a noxious reptile might have produced. She had never seen Luke Hatton before, and if she had figured him to her mind at all, it was not as anything agreeable, but she was not prepared for so hideous and revolting a personage as he appeared to be. His face was like an ugly mask on which a sardonic grin was stamped. His features were large and gaunt, and he had the long, hooked nose and the sharp-pointed bestial ears of a satyr with leering eyes betokening at once sensuality and cunning. He had the chin and beard of a goat and crisply curled hair of a pale yellow color. With all this, there was something sordid in his looks, as well as his attire, which showed that to his other vices he added that of avarice. A mock humility belied by the changeless sneer on his countenance distinguished his deportment. It could be seen at once that, However cringing he might be, he despised the person he addressed. Moreover, in spite of all his efforts to control it, there was something sarcastic in his speech. His doublet and hose, both of which had endured some service, were well-nigh threadbare and were tawny-colored, and he wore a short yellow cloak and a great ruff of the same color, and carried a brown steeple-crowned hat in his hand. "'I await your ladyship's commands,' said Luke Hatton, bowing obsequiously. "'I have none to give you,' Lady Exeter rejoined with irrepressible disgust. "'I have not sent for you. Go hence.' Not at all abashed by his reception, Luke Hatton maintained his place, and threw an inquiring glance at Lord Ruse. "'My dear Countess,' said the young nobleman seating himself negligently upon a tabaret beside her i must pray you do not dismiss this worthy man so hastily you will find him eminently serviceable and as to his trustworthiness i have seen the best reasons for feeling satisfied of it because i hold in my hand a noose which whenever i please i could tighten around his neck Of this he is quite aware, and, therefore, he will serve us faithfully, as well as, from fear as from gratitude. Her ladyship may place entire confidence in me, remarked Lute Hatton with a grin. This is not the first affair of the kind in which I have been engaged. I have prepared potions and powders which Miss Turner, whose reputation your ladyship must needs be acquainted— used to vend to her customers my draughts have removed many a troublesome husband and silenced many a jealous wife i have helped many an heir to the speedy enjoyment of an inheritance which but for my assistance would not have come to him for years the lover with a rival in his way who has come to me has soon been freed from all anxiety on that score The courtier, eager for a post which is superior held, has gained it by my aid, yet none of those whom I have thus benefited have been suspected. Your ladyship, I repeat, need have no fears of me, and no scruples with me. State your wishes, and they will be implicitly obeyed. I have no wish except to be relieved of a presence which is disagreeable to me replied the countess again luke hatton consulted lord ruse with a regard i find that i must act for her ladyship said the young nobleman you will take therefore the instructions i shall give you as proceeding from her what two names do you find upon that paper those of your lordship's wife and mother-in-law returned luke hatton You comprehend what her ladyship would have done with those persons, said Lord Ruse, looking at him steadfastly. Perfectly, replied Luke Hatton. "Oh, do not give this fatal order, my lord, cried Lady Exeter, trembling. How many days do you require to effect their removal, demanded Lord Ruse, without appearing to notice her remark. I do not require many hours, replied Luke Hatton. But it will be well not to be too precipitate. Neither must they die at the same time. All precautions shall be taken. The names are placed in a particular order. Is it so that the countess would have them taken? In that case, I must commence with Lady Ruse. (laughs) Wretch! Dost thou dare to make such an appeal to me? cried Lady Exeter, rising. Be gone instantly, I say thou hast no order whatever from me or if thou fancied so i revoke it the order cannot be revoked cried lord ruse grasping her arm this is not a time for hesitation or repentance having commenced the work you must go through with it whether you will or not whether i will or not exclaimed lady exeter regarding him with an angry surprise have i heard you all right my lord am i to be forced into association with this foul deed have i sunk so low in your esteem that you ventured to treat me thus pardon me francis pardon me he cried imploringly i have said more than i intended If I appear to exercise undue influence over you now, you will forgive me hereafter, because the situation is one that requires decision, and that quality I possess in a higher degree than yourself. Luke Hatton must obey the orders given him, and you must sanction them. Never, she required emphatically. Then we part forever, cried Lord Ruse. No matter what the pang may be or what befalls me, I will go. Farewell forever, Countess. Stay, she cried. We must not part thus. Then you consent, he exclaimed. Luke Hatton receives his orders from you? Ask me not that question, she cried with a shudder. If her ladyship will but sign this, said Luke Hatton, Holding towards her the paper on which the names were written, it will suffice for me. You hear what he says, Francis. Will you do it? Cried Lord Ruse. Tis but a few strokes of the pen. Those few strokes will cost me my soul, she rejoined. But if it must be so, it must. Give me the pen. "'And as Lord Ruse complied, she signed the paper. "'Now you may go,' said Lord Ruse to Luke Hatton, "'who received the paper with a diabolical grin. "'You may count upon your reward. "'In a week's time, my lord,' said Luke Hatton, still grinning, "'and shifting his glance from the half-fainting countess "'to the young nobleman. "'In a week's time,' he repeated, You will have to put on mourning for your wife, and in a month, for your mother-in-law. And with a cringing bow, and moving with a soft, cat-like footstep, he quitted the room, leaving the guilty pair alone, together. End of volume one. End of chapter twenty-nine. End. Of the Star Chamber, A Historical Romance, Volume 1, by William Harrison Ainsworth.